verses 26 and 27. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Tonight we begin a study of the book of James. And when you think about the book of James, really James is all about this thought. Faith that doesn't work won't work. Faith that doesn't work won't work with God. Now that doesn't mean that one merits or earns anything with God. To God be praise and glory for what He has done for us in Jesus. The salvation that He's provided. But it does mean that medicine must be taken. And an appreciation and love for the physician as well as for the medication will influence us in our everyday lives. That is what James is about. Faith that doesn't work won't work. Not with God. When you think about it in our thoughts and words and deeds, the relationship that we have with God is either seen or missing. Our thoughts, our words, our actions. How are we conveying our faith in these areas? When you look at the book of James, there are four or five different men named James in the New Testament. Most people believe with a great deal of evidence to support it historically that the James who wrote the book of James is James the Lord's half-brother. James the Lord's brother. In the Bible, we read about this James and he is a fascinating character. Imagine being the half-brother of Jesus, sharing Mary as one's mother. But of course, Jesus was miraculously conceived. Whereas Mary would go on to have other children after Jesus. Look at Matthew 13 and verse 55. In Matthew 13, 55, in God's Word... What we see is this, that Jesus had at least four brothers and a number of sisters. James is one of them. He's mentioned first. Joseph, 
Judas and Simon. This is paralleled, this verse, Matthew 13, 55, is paralleled by Mark 6 and verse 3. A passage that says the same thing pretty much. Open your Bible to John 7 and look at John 7 and see a little bit more about Christ brothers. John 7 and verse 5. What this passage says is absolutely astounding. It says that Christ's own brothers initially did not believe in him. Wow. His own brothers didn't believe in him initially. Talk about coming to the world and the world receiving him not. But the story doesn't end there. Something happened that was irrefutable, that was undeniable, that caused the brothers of Jesus to embrace Jesus as the Son of God. It is one of the most outstanding conversions in all of the New Testament, in my judgment. If I were asked to pick two conversions in the New Testament that just blow me away, that just astound me, I marvel at them, it's the conversion of James and it's the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. They provide us powerful evidence for the truth of Christianity. Turn in your Bibles to Acts 1 and verse 14. Turn in the Bible to Acts 1, 14 and see what it says. After the resurrection of Jesus, after He has ascended, Acts 1, 3 through 5, He's gone back to be at the right hand of God. It is said in this passage, Acts 1.14, that Mary was present with the followers of Jesus and so were Christ's brothers. Do you see it? The resurrection of Jesus made all the difference. The way He died and how He arose made the difference. In their life. You talk about being skeptical. It's uh, Few people can be more skeptical about something than one's own family, huh? What a tribute this is to the truth about Christ. Turn to Acts 12 and verse 17. And I'm just walking you through quickly what the Bible says about James. This character, James. Acts 12, 17. In Acts 12 and verse 17, the Bible says this. It says, Peter has been released from prison. If you look at the beginning of the chapter, another James, James the son of Zebedee, has been killed. He suffered a martyr's death. But in Acts 12, 17, when Peter is released from prison by the hand of God... Peter says, go tell James and 
the brethren what has happened. What I'm saying, Daryl, is this, that in a fairly brief period of time, James, the Lord's half-brother, becomes one of the leaders of the early church. Turn to Acts 15. Acts 15, verses 13 through 21. And here is where we see James speaking about what should Jewish Christians do when people who are Gentiles come to Jesus. How should they be treated? And James, along with Peter and Paul and other men of God, let Jewish Christians everywhere come to the realization that people who are Gentiles have every right to come to Jesus too. And we cannot impose on them anything more than God does in His own Word. That's Acts 15. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 7. 1 Corinthians 15, 7. Just a couple of more verses about James after this. In 1 Corinthians 15, you've got the resurrection chapter where there is specific information given us concerning the resurrection of our Lord that really helps us appreciate the magnificence of this event, the truthfulness of this event. And verse 7 says... He appeared to James. So at least one of the resurrection appearances of Jesus was to James. No wonder why he followed Jesus. It's hard to argue with your brother raised from the dead. And then in Galatians 1.19 and 2 and verse 9, Galatians 1.19 and 2 and verse 9. I realize I'm giving a number of passages, but I'm going to be camping in James momentarily. I'll be there in James, and you can stay there with me. In Galatians 1.19 and Galatians 2.9, Paul refers to James and Cephas, or Peter, and John. He refers to them as pillars that they are leaders, men of faithfulness and ability in the early church. So when we look at the book of James, think about the author being the half-brother of Jesus. And yet, when we open the book of James, you would never know it. Because the emphasis is on James, a servant, not on James, a brother of Jesus and pillar in the early church. Let me say a word or two about the style of the book of James. There are five chapters and 108 verses in the book of James. It can easily be read in 30 or 40 minutes, even if you're a slow reader. Five chapters, 108 verses. There are 54 imperatives. 
54 commands in this book. That's one imperative for every two verses, Brother Jack. James writes directly. There is little problem understanding what James means for the most part in the five chapters and 108 verses that make up the book. One would have to work pretty hard to misunderstand what he says with maybe an exception or two. Very direct, plain spoken, but he also writes very vividly with illustrations that just capture one's imagination. As a matter of fact, no book of the New Testament sounds more like Jesus than James. And as another matter of fact, James refers to the Sermon on the Mount of Jesus no less than 25 times. 25 times in one book he refers to the Sermon on the Mount. Wow. No wonder why he sounds so much like Jesus. They grew up in the same home. They think similarly. And James, even though he wasn't a believer initially, he still listened to Jesus. He must have been present. It's been said of James, while John may have been the one who was at the side of Jesus, James was the one who sat at his feet and learned some things. Even though Steve, he may have had to learn some things the hard way, like so many of us. This book may be one of the earliest books written in the New Testament. It's probably written 45 to 49 A.D. And that's only about 20 years after Jesus died. When you think about it, it would be one of the earliest New Testament books. Well, why do you say that, Mike? Glad to tell you why. You listening, Brian? You'd be kind of interested in something like this. There's no reference to Gentile Christians. You can read James all, all the way through, and there's not a specific reference anywhere to Gentile Christians. There's no reference to the events of Acts 15. How will we treat people who aren't Jewish that come to Christ? There's no reference to that happening. There seems to be, and Bill, you'll like this, there, there's really no reference at all to the letters of Paul. It seems as if James is writing at a very early point in the church's existence. At a very early point. It is a point when the Christians that he knows that are primarily Jewish are suffering a lot at the hands of rich people. And so James speaks out against social injustice. In one sense, James sounds an awful lot like Proverbs. He speaks so wisely and often of wisdom. But in another sense, James sounds like Amos in the Old Testament. 
where he cries out against wickedness and how people can treat another person made in God's image so wrongly, so sinfully. That's why I personally believe this book's probably one of the earliest ones in the New Testament to be written. Now let me give you a picture quickly of what this book is about. It is about showing our faith. Showing our faith. Showing our faith. Faith in action. And when you look at chapter 1, here's the idea. One who shows their faith is patient in trouble. It's a sure sign of a lack of maturity to be impatient when we're in trouble because we know if we live very long, we're going to face trouble. And so you look at James 1 and especially the first 17, 18 verses, it deals with trial and trouble, verses 2 through 12, and then it deals with temptation. A person who shows their faith is patient in times of trial and trouble and temptation. Chapter 2. A person who shows their faith practices the truth. A person who really shows their faith practices the truth. Now here's how chapter 2 unfolds. The first 13 verses are all about faith and how we love others. Faith and how we love others. Like verse 1, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ with respect of persons. Showing partiality. Showing discrimination. For no other reason maybe than the color of one's skin or one's economic status. Faith and love. James 2, 1 through 13. It's very unloving, James says, to show partiality like this. And then verses 14 through 26 deal with faith and works. And notice how he puts it so plainly and vividly. As the body, verse 26, apart from the spirit, is dead, so faith, if it has not works, is dead. Faith that doesn't work won't work with God. Chapter 3. A person who's in Christ longs to love and show their trust in Him, not just by being patient in trials and troubles and temptation, chapter 1, practicing the truth consistently in chapter 2, but by showing power over their tongue, power over their speech. It is a sure sign of immaturity to not 
be able to control our tongues. And that's what James 3, 2 through 12 are all about. You think about these things as Christians. He is dealing with primary principles of a person's life who has a relationship with God. No one ever dealt with trial, trouble, and temptation like Jesus Christ. Amen to that? Nobody ever practiced the truth as consistently as Jesus. Amen to that? And no one ever showed power over their speech, their tongue, like Jesus. And it's Jesus who says, by your words you'll be justified, by your words you'll be condemned, and that for every idle word you and I will give an account to God. Matthew 12, 34 through 37. But as we look at James 3, 13 through 18, he talks about the wisdom that is from above as opposed to earthly wisdom. And he says that we are to show by our manner of life, our conduct, meekness in wisdom. Do you see that? Chapter 4. What's the book of James all about? A person who has true faith, real faith, a real relationship with God wants to express their love and devotion to God by being a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. By being a peacemaker. Again, Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker. Isn't that true? He, he takes sinners and makes us clean so that we can have a relationship with God. He's the ultimate peacemaker, Matthew 5, 9. Now, when you look at James chapter 4, there are three wars going on simultaneously. One through three, a war with the flesh that Christians have to fight. Verses 4 and 5, a war with the world. Friendship with the world is enmity, strife with God. Note number three. The idea of the devil. The devil. We can resist the devil, but we cannot in pride think that we can resist him alone. And then he goes on in James 4. And think about this idea. A person really has no peace unless they know that Jesus gives us victory over the flesh. Jesus gives us victory over the world. Jesus gives us victory over the devil. I could never stand against any of them alone and hope to win. But in Christ, we are more than conquerors. Now look at James 4. And what he goes on to do is talk about, if you really want to be a peacemaker, beware of these things. He talks, first of all, about beware of pride and arrogance. Then he talks in James chapter 4, notice this, and especially 
uh, verses 11 and 12. Beware of harsh criticism and speaking evil of others. That's kind of the national pastime of America, isn't it? Harshly criticizing other people. Speaking evil of others. And then notice verses 13 through 17. And there's a third exhortation, a warning, if you will, that he gives. Beware of arrogant self-confidence and making plans without God. Because your life is but a vapor that appears for a few moments and it vanishes away. Now James 5. James 5 says this, a person who has real faith shows it. Shows it by being prayerful in trouble. Prayerful in trouble. Patient and testing at the beginning and prayerful in trouble. What a way to begin and close a book. People who are mature and are like Jesus are prayerful in their troubles. Four Old Testament characters are mentioned by name in the book of James. Only four. Two of them in chapter 2 and two of them in chapter 5. Here they are. Abraham Rahab. I think their names have been mentioned a number of times today in our assemblies. Abraham and Rahab. Faith. Faith risking because we believe that God keeps His word. And so really in one sense, no risk is involved, but in another sense, from a human perspective, you understand what I'm talking about. The other two, Job and Elijah. Imagine how Job must have been a man of prayer. We know that he was a man of patience. I suspect he learned a lot about patience by praying, don't you? And how about Elijah? The fact that he was a man of such conviction and faith that he could pray that God would shut the doors of heaven as far as rain coming and the faucet was turned off. But when he prayed that it rain, the rain came. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It accomplishes much in its working. Faith that doesn't work won't work with God. Not that we earn or merit our standing with Him. Our standing is made possible because of Jesus. He has no sin but ours, and we have no way of being righteous apart from Him. That's the fact.
but the response of love and a desire to obey as a loving child would our Heavenly Father should characterize Christians. Think James is going to be a great book to study? Here's how we're going to go about it. Lord willing, next Sunday after our morning services, I'll be leaving to teach at Bear Valley. Please pray uh, for that trip, and I'll be teaching the Godhead, the Trinity, while there. But then, Lord willing, the rest of this time, we'll look at James 1 in a sermon, James 2 in a sermon, James 3 in a sermon, James 4, so five more lessons. All right? Chapter by chapter. And hopefully you'll be blessed, and I hope that we've gotten off to a great start. If you are not a Christian, would you respond to the love of Jesus in love and faith yourself? Repenting of your sins, confessing with your mouth that Jesus is God's Son, won't you be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins? Won't you put on Christ in baptism? Won't you be added to the body of Christ, the family of God, the church? And for those of you who are Christians that might be struggling with trial and trouble and temptation, Jesus understands and He cares. I want you to know I believe that the people of Westside Church of Christ care too. I sincerely do. And if we can help you with a trial or trouble or temptation, we would be willing to pray for you and happy to because we think you might just do the same for us. If you need to come to Jesus, won't you as we stand and sing?